Blog Talk Radio. Quiet, please. Movie Beat Conversations with Filmmakers, where we discuss everything film and television. Here on Movie Beat, you'll learn what to do and what not to do when it comes to making movies and TV. We will talk to everyone behind the scenes and in front of the camera, and I'll provide you with the guests and the information you're going to want to have, whether you're a filmmaker or a fan. So now let's move behind the scenes here at Movie Beat. Uh, let me tell you, my guest today returns, Mr. Sam Christensen. I'm excited and thrilled. I guess that's the same thing, but I'm thrilled and, and delighted to have Sam here today to continue our discussion, uh, especially for actors, so that they can advance their careers or you can advance your careers and filmmakers. Uh, because Sam is an, an image expert, a branding guru, an acting mentor. He's been a casting director. He's been a manager. He's been in the business a long time, and he's going to return uh, in just a few moments. And uh, again, delighted and thrilled to have him here. You're listening live. We're live right now. The chat room is open. If you're listening archived, it means you're listening to a recorded show. You can't use the chat room. The official web address for Rex Sykes Movie Beat is R-E-X-S-I-K-E-S dot com. That's my name. I'm your host. At RexSykes.com, you can listen to all of these interviews as they record live by going to the interviews blog, clicking on the guest biography reading through it and clicking on the link that says to listen live, click here. If it says to listen and it's just a bold link, then it means it's already recorded and you can listen to it anytime, 24-7. They're also available as podcasts at the iTunes store and there's over 300 hours of professional filmmakers sharing their expertise with you. Movie Beat's really designed to be a resource for you. That's why I connect you up with people who are making it happen each and every day. They give you secrets, tips, suggestions, advice, great information, what to do, what not to do, how to do it, a nuts and bolts show so that you can advance your career, so that you can make your projects uh, less expensively, smoother, faster, get them from you know idea to the screen and beyond. Um, and that's why we do the show. And all we ask in return is that you invite someone to listen, whether you are listening live or archived. Let's say it's a 3 a.m. in the morning on a Sunday or something like that, and you're sitting home and you discover this on the Internet. Well, you know what? Go ahead and tweet about it. Say, I'm listening to Rex Sykes' movie beat. It's 3 in the morning. I'm listening to the archive show. Here's the link. Or call up a friend you know, right now or email them or tweet them and say, you know, I'm listening live to Rex Sykes. Join us in the chat room you know, and, uh, and, and tune on in. Because this is for you and your filmmaker friends and industry connections and fans around the world. And the way you help me is to spread it. The way you help my guests is to share it with each and every person you know. Also, leave comments uh, during the show, after the show, whether it's a live or archived. You can live tweet about it because that extends our reach to listeners, potential listeners, who uh, may not know about the show because it increases our presence on the Internet. Also, when you rate and review the podcast, if you give us great ratings on those podcasts, it, it 
it increases their visibility right there in the iTunes store, makes us a more popular choice, and then they, when anything's more popular, guess what? It goes to the top of the pages, so people find it easier. So if you'll do that for me, we'll keep giving you all this great information absolutely free. All right, so let me bring my guest on, Mr. Sam Christensen, and uh, and we're going to talk more about what we talked before. Hi, Sam, how you doing? I'm doing well, thanks, Rex. Awesome, it's great to have you back. Uh, Sam has been here a couple of times before discussing many aspects of uh, of the entertainment business. We talk, we've talked about art. We've talked about you know acting and and filmmakers uh, advancing their careers. I'd like to kind of recap a little bit, Sam, and ask you just a couple questions that some we touched on and and some we didn't. But um, uh, can, I'd like to start right off by asking you this question: Why identity is so important and so elusive? Well, that's a that's a complex question. Um, it's important because I think more and more and more um, with the uh, sort of pl- proliferation of all sorts of media, um, identity signature is sort of the way I like to think of it and describe it, um, sort of helps sort out all of the the data, the information that we are all uh confronted with every single day of our lives so that something can be remembered uh the the problem i think today with everything and so many sources of information coming at us uh in in a given hour at the desk or uh watching media it's coming from email it's coming on screen it's coming via text and skype and every other mode and manner um the difficulty is retaining the information and for an actor or for a filmmaker, uh, somebody retaining that information and deciding that they want to see more of that person or work with that person, then identity, something to distinguish and, and allow people to separate a single idea, in this case the artist's identity, from all the other information is, is pretty crucial. It gets more and more important as we each deal with more and more information. Um, and the reason it's elusive is uh, really a, a sort of a, a human challenge in that when we talk about our identity, we're really talking about two different um, things that need to be united. We're talking about this interior perception, our own self-awareness, our personal identity that we have from the inside of ourselves, and then we're talking about this impression that we have on the rest of the world, the exterior identity that everybody who's going to work with us or hire us or collaborate with us, um, they are having an exterior experience. So when somebody says, tell me who you are, tell me about yourself, um, we not only need to speak from the interior, but at the same time we need to honor the perception that they are having on the outside. And what I discovered early in my career is uh, those two perceptions are slightly different. The way we look at ourselves from the inside and the way that others see us from the outside is um, just a little bit differing. So we have to do a little work to get down to what the identity is that honors the inside and acknowledges the outside so that we can make those signature statements. And um, I think as anybody discovers, especially artists, your chance to create that signature is very often dependent on, you know, a three-minute meeting or audition. 
your chance to pitch your idea for a screenplay and convince somebody not only that it's a great idea, but that you're the person to make that uh, story is sometimes a very short amount of time. So the, um, the, the techniques involved in coalescing the inside and the outside and then putting it into words at a fairly brief amount of time, those skills become uh, pretty important if the artist wants not only to sell their craft, their skills, their talent, their idea, but also their personal take on the craftsmanship. Um, suddenly, the ability to express a signature of identity in a short amount of time becomes pretty vital. Oh, absolutely, uh, absolutely, it makes a, a lot of sense. So how and we, and we've been discussing some of that, you know, in, in terms of you know how people can uh, make a better impression and. Uh, you know, and take advantage of the time frame that they have. Uh, but, but what is why, why? There's this conundrum that you would call it uh, in the request to just be yourself. What? What do you mean by that? I mean, you know, as actors. I think well, I switched topics. So it's switched right in mid gears there. But I. But uh, uh, go ahead. Well, no, that's exactly logically the the progression. Um, you know, we're asked this all all the time. We're either asked directly. You know, sometimes that'll be a direction from uh, from the director. Is you know, I like what you're doing. Um, you know, you've captured the elements of the character. Now, give me a version and just be yourself. You know, it will be the the language that's used. What the uh, director means is there is the possibility of not only honoring the writing and creating the character as it needs to be uh, delivered to tell the story, but there's also the possibility of creating a uniquely human version of it that only you can create because you're the actor playing the role. Or sometimes that is asked of us much more subtly. You know, people will say things to a, a director in a in a pitch like, well, you're in your head, or you're not giving me uh, uh, anything but the generic, and uh, uh, how do you feel about this? Where's the soul of it? You know, those kinds of, of requests. And at that point, what really is the challenge is, I understand that you have uh, an idea in your head. Uh, I'm speaking as the artist now. The artist knows that the person asking for the uh, authenticity for the signature has an idea of what that is in their head. Meanwhile, the artist is sitting there going, I know what I think my authenticity is. I know what I believe my true uh, interior uh, individual self. I know what it is. But sometimes I've experienced in life that other folks on the outside don't exactly see me the way I see me. And you know uh -huh. that. That shows up in very standard kind of examples when somebody will say to us in life, you know, I think you're this way. I think you're so sweet. And meantime, inside yourself, you're going, I'm not all that sweet. Actually, I think I'm kind of brittle and difficult, but fine if you think so. And then we go, do I have to now act sweet because they sort of think that or they said that of me? Or it especially is true when we hear things back from our agents or our representatives, you know, and, and we'll do a pitch of a story, for example, for the filmmaker, and the, um, the agent will call back and say, well, you know, they, they, uh, they like the idea, but they found you a little cold. 
and you think, uh-huh. cold? I was just trying to be detailed and exact. I was just trying to do my job, and they found me cold? What does that mean? They didn't like me. I should warm it up. I don't know what that means. I think I was just being professional, and now they're telling me I'm cold. Or, you know, somebody will say, well, you tried too hard. Tried too hard? I was just being thorough. You know, and all of those things then mean the second meeting, if we get the second chance, is now charged with, oh, good, I have to both be thorough, but I don't want to seem cold or too detailed, so now what do I do, be warm, thorough? Uh, I'm confused. (laughs) And that means that we are more thinking about ourselves, worrying about ourselves, listening to ourselves, than we are devoting uh, ourselves to the, the presentation of the story. So... That little conundrum, as you rightly uh, expressed it, between the inside perception and the outside perception, we sort of have to uh, unite. And that's the work I do. I mean, that's where I start. Let's find out what's going on outside. Um, Most of it you'll kind of uh, recognize, but there may be some elements that seem foreign to you, or there may be some things that you're absolutely sure people are getting, but they're not. So... Let's find out what those are. Let's find out what's going on um, outside. And then I work through a process that helps people unite that with the interior so they really arrive at a public identity. You know, this is, this is the person the world sees that I'm also plugged into. I'm in, I'm in union with my exterior uh, uh, presentation. And I can go out and both know the kind of person they're seeing respond to their, uh, their reactions to me, and I can do that in a way that is sort of copacetic with my own interior perception of myself. And then there's comfort, you know, that, that feeling of I am myself in this situation. I've honored all my interior calling for who I am, for how my identity has been forged through my history, and I am also bowing to the fact that how that is perceived by others may be a little different than how I perceive it. So when people know both sides, the, the um, kind of uh, amalgamation of the inside and the outside kind of happens automatically. What really stops us from uh, the, the, the sort of united feeling is with just that we don't know very much about what's going on out there. So when we ask that question, when we really find out other people's reactions to us and we treat it not as praise or criticism but as information and we plug it into the information we hold inside about ourselves, pretty soon what just emerges is uh, an identity that honors all of it, the, our internal perception as well as the external presentation that we're making. And then we have that uh, opportunity for public uh, authenticity, to be personal in our work, to be ourselves, to not be in our heads, uh, to be fully present in the room, all those kind of things that people are always asking us for. Well, I mean, that's awesome because, it, I mean, it's it, it, I have always maintained that you know I can't, as an actor, or that any actor can't, or filmmaker for that matter, can't do their best work if their concentration is split. 
if half of my attention is on me and whether I'm doing right or wrong in, in the presentation and the other half is on delivering what it is I'm supposed to be delivering, it's a far weaker presentation than if I'm 100% devoted to delivering the presentation with attention on that as opposed to on how I'm doing. Well, exactly. You know, a lot of times we will leave those kinds of things, a, a pitch or an audition, and we will say to ourselves, what was I doing in there? If only they really knew me. If they knew me like my friends know me. Well, obviously our friends know more about us, our intimates know much more about us than than the general public that we meet in meetings and auditions. However, we do want the general public, these people that we have limited time with, we do want them to have the fullest appropriate sense of us in whatever large or small amount of time we're given to present ourselves. So what I want people to do is to walk away from those kinds of things uh, feeling, given the time I had, those people had a personal and authentic experience of who I am as a human being, as well as hearing how well I act or getting the, the, the thrust of the story I presented or hearing how I would dress a set or how I would costume mm -hmm. a, a cast whatever we're, we're out there presenting as our craftsmanship, I think we want to leave any of those kinds of meetings with the sense that they get that I can do my work well and they also get the very personal and unique way I do that work. When we can leave that way, even if it's a three-minute, five-minute meeting, I think then we walk away going, okay, given the time, they got a pretty good sense of who I am and that I do my work well. And I think then we walk away satisfied. We aren't replaying those situations because I don't know about the people we're talking to today, but um, you know I used to leave those things go mm -hmm. run, you know, unsatisfied, running them over in my head two weeks later, a, a big waste of time because you can't do anything about it. And I just want people to walk away feeling okay, given the time, did what I can do. They know who I am. They know what I do. I can move on to the next opportunity and let that one have the results it's going to have rather than trying to reformulate from that experience how I'm going to be in the future. Um, I believe this work only needs to be done once. We don't need to be re-experiencing how to be ourselves based on how we did in each new encounter. I mm -hmm. I want people to feel I know how to present myself. I know how to make my identity present in the room. I know how to demonstrate my work. Um, my job is to figure out how to get more opportunities not to keep um, fudging and adjusting my presentation because that becomes just a bunch of wasted time. You know, that is, um, uh, uh, if, if the way I think of it, it's a higher level of thinking and consideration than, than uh, many people probably uh, consider. You know, I mean, it, it is the, well, we uh, I would say the, di the difference that will make the difference is what I'm trying to say. You know, you know yeah. in other words, you're looking at that edge. What gives people an edge, you know, is to be authentic and to have people have that experience of an authentic person. I mean, whenever you meet somebody, I think, who's really, truly present and truly authentic in whatever walk of life, I mean, you feel touched by that person. If, and if if someone can come to you, Sam, and, and you work with them and they can go out and do that, 
then what you just said, it was the only thing they really need to concentrate on then is, is getting more opportunities to, to, to meet with people. Well, you know, it's playing out right now in the political realm. Um, uh, Mitt Romney has this challenge that everybody keeps talking about. I mean, whether it's the, the people are, are more on his side of the spectrum or the people on the other side of the spectrum, everybody keeps going, you know, the guy is clearly accomplished, he's clearly smart, he's clearly done well in his life, um, but uh, who is he? He's adjusting, he's, you know, there's all this criticism, and the reality is, uh, it's pretty apparent that he is a person capable of doing uh, uh, leadership work. He's capable of succeeding, and yet we don't feel like we know who he really is. So now they're sending right. out his wife and sending out his kids saying, well, if you knew Mitt at home, if you knew Mitt the way he was when we worked with him, and everybody is going, yeah, well, it's really good, but we're not coming over to your house, and we didn't work <laughs> with him. We want right. to know who he is right now as the guy who wants to lead us, and he's having a real struggle much more on the side of his presentation of who he is than he is over on the policy side, because on the policy side, people either agree with his view of things or they don't, but I think everybody, even the people who agree with his policy points of view, are a little baffled about who the heck they're supporting and, and who they might vote for, and it's... You know, when it plays out on that stage with people who could potentially lead the free world, and we go, he's still a mystery. Uh, we, you know, and we never know who these people fully are. Of course, we we shouldn't know them like intimates and and friends. But on the other hand, we should be able to figure out kind of what kind of person they are and how we relate to them and what they say as a human being. And that's how, you know, here's somebody who certainly has been places and could obviously afford to um, to make a presentation, and yet it's still awkward and and strange. And that is that's the 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 nature of this of this challenge. It it doesn't affect just those of us who've had less experience or we haven't yet succeeded or any of that. It sometimes, uh, often, as a matter of fact, affects people that are in very uh, elevated positions of power and success, and yet they're still weirdly unreachable and, and not uh, alive for us, not human. And uh, that's and I think we demand more and more of it because we used to see candidates and people like this, you know, just at speeches or just in ads that they presented. Now, you know, cameras are following everybody everywhere. So we really have the feeling that we want to know someone and we want to know who they are, what are they really like. And it is in this world of, of publicness that we all find ourselves, it becomes more and more essential that uh, signature and identity are are identified and then feel comfortable. There's um this is this is really fascinating. I have uh I don't know if there's a cognitive dissident point in here, you know, or not. Uh, yeah, I adhere to the notion that uh, uh, perception is everything, and and I think that that's meaningful. I mean, in other words, if you can create the right perception, you know, the media or a candidate or whatever, then people can buy it. But if it's not if it's not 
I would say if it's not based in in the authenticity that you're talking about, then it's very hard to to create it. Now, somebody in the chat room, and the reason I bring this up, somebody in the chat room asked, John did. He said, "Do you believe in the in the, the adage fake it until you make it uh, as a way of creating a brand for yourself?" Well, you know, I mean, there's a certain um, sort of uh, good sense to that in, in this way. Um, Everybody is uncomfortable at the beginning of doing everything. And so you've right. kind of got to put yourself out there, do something, and learn from the experience so that you get proficient. So there is a certain logic to that. But when it comes to identity, um, what you can't, I don't think you can fake an identity until you create one. What I think you can do is ease into your comfort with it. Um, and that's kind of what I try to do in the process that I, that I've worked up, and that we we do here is let's let's walk through and find the elements of this. Let's discover what's going on outside us, embrace that, fold it into what's going on inside us, see where the agreements are, which is mostly what people find, see where the little surprises are see where maybe even there's an aspect of us on the outside that we wish weren't there but seems to be in play. Find out all of those things. And the faking it isn't so much how I would put it. I would instead put put it this way. I, I would say walk through your identity until it's comfortable. Experience it until it is natural. Um that would be my version of fake it till you make it because I think fake it implies that you're you're creating it out of nothing. I think instead you're creating it out of elements that previously were unknown to you, uh, unnoticed by you. And so when you begin to take in other people's perception, treating it not as praise or criticism, but instead treating it just as information, folding it back into your own perception then you're sort of, you know, uh, walking through until you're actually living in it. And that's sort of my version of fake it till you make it. I, 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 I do believe that in um, exploration of public identity, there is a, a work-up period until you are just comfortable and existing in your authenticity. It's sort of like be semi-authentic, working up on authenticity, you know, that's sort of the fake until you make it. That's cool. Uh, yeah, I, my two cents that I would add to that, and I, you probably already thought it through, but I'm just, when when people try new skills that they haven't done, whether they're actors trying to learn to act or, you know, an editor trying to learn to edit or writing or, a, you know, a child playing baseball or basketball or an adult, um, they should take the position of a benevolent coach, with themselves in in the sense that it, unless you're an expert, you shouldn't get frustrated or complain or get down on yourself for doing something that you've never done before with, with great expertise. And a benevolent coach would look at you and make the adjustments that are necessary, but it's not going to criticize you and go, you know, you're stupid for not being able to make that shot or you're dumb because you can't remember your lines yet. You know, we're never, we're never done you know, in going through it the first couple times, and exactly. so I mean that's that's exactly it, uh, Rex. We have to um, go through that process, and you know the whole um, 
this whole coaching uh, world that we live in now, where there are so many folks that are helpful to other folks, is exactly the sort of um, professional expression of what I'm talking about. We need somebody on the outside. That's right. what coaches do. They provide two things. First of all, the, the whatever modes of motivation that they use to move people along and get them off the dime, that's an important piece of coaching. But the other piece of coaching is I'm looking at you from the outside. I can see, you know, a basketball coach may not be able to dribble and dribble and do the layup that the player can do. Right. The outside coach can certainly look and tell you where to lean your shoulder, what's wrong with your approach to the hoop, the, that's what the coach can see and do from a, a point of view of expertise and motivation. And so now you've got somebody on the outside reading back to you what you can't see from the inside. And that's the same thing that, that I want people to do about their identities, is to become their own coach. And I think what we do there is we begin with an outside coach. And in my case, I use the, the group I'm working with to be the observers and the describers so that the person who is, uh, who is gathering the information about themselves has all this outside point of view. And the nice thing about what I do is I don't have to work much on motivation. People are motivated all by themselves to be authentic. That, I never have to tune up somebody's motivation about that. Everybody wants to be fully and completely and authentically themselves. What this process that I do uh, provides in the sort of coaching mode is, okay, here's the outside information. Here's what other folks are seeing. Now pull that information into the interior information you have, and out of that comes this, if you will, coached identity, this identity that takes in the benefits of having an outside point of view as well as your interior skills, talent, and point of view. And now we have a human being that is operational in a world where we are observed from the outside all the time. None of us works alone. No person can make money without the, um, the participation of other human beings. And so if you're going to tell stories or manufacture widgets, there are going to be other human beings involved. So their perception is also key, and it's that same thing. Go get the outside information pull it to the inside, and then eventually you're self-coaching. Eventually you're benefiting from that outside input and you're making all of those adjustments that allows you to be a public person. And, and adjustments is really the wrong word. I should say refinements that allow you to be a fully comfortable, authentic public person so that you have, I think we discussed in an earlier uh, visit, uh, that thing I call integrity. I'm, I am the same person in all situations. I adjust to be appropriate to the social setting, but I'm essentially the same human being everywhere I go. You can count on me to be me pretty much wherever you put me. And I think we all want that. We're highly motivated to be comfortable, to feel like we're ourselves wherever we are. And the only thing that stops us from that is this technical difficulty of we're not just working with our own perception of our identity. We have to work with this exterior perception as part of it. This is, this is fascinating. Um, my sister in the year 2000 
did a, uh, a documentary on the presidential campaign. Uh-huh, yeah. And and I'm sorry, I, I'm sorry for the pause. And uh, she so she got to meet all of the, the candidates at the uh-huh. time. Or it yeah. might have been ninety nine. I don't remember exactly. Or two thousand and two, or whatever it was. But she did. She did it. She, she actually she's nominated for an Emmy for it. But anyway, so she met all of the different candidates, including Al Gore. And I said, "Well, what do you think, of Al Gore?" She said, "He is as charismatic as Bill Clinton in a room in a private situation." She goes, "He is out there. He's egregious. He's warm. He's personable. You feel immensely connected to the man." And she said, "The second the camera turns on, he he stiffens up and he becomes the Al Gore that everybody knows." Yeah, trying to prove and, something, or yeah, and you know, um, uh, I'll, I'll give you another example from the same campaign. And if I shared this example before, um, stop me. <laughs> but in the same campaign, there was uh, one of the debates where uh, Gore and Bush were debating, and um, the question was tossed to Gore first, and he made sort of an expansive intellectual um, kind of. Uh, of uh, answer, and you know how they run the red line and the blue line underneath, showing what oh, sure. wired up Republicans are reacting to and wired up them. And naturally, when Al would say something, the Democrat response would go up, and when Gore or Bush would say something, the Republican line would go up. And so Gore made this thing, and the Republican line dipped way down, and the um, the Democratic line sort of floated because people knew that's what Al would say. And then they tossed it to uh, then Governor Bush, and um, they asked him, you know, to follow up on that question. And George Bush led with, "Well, I'm no intellectual." And as soon as he said that, the Republican line jumped about 20 points, but so did the Democratic line. Wow! And mm. it's because he said something that everybody perceived about him as true. Now, the Democrats reacted positively just because they thought, damn right, this guy is no intellectual, but at least he knows it. And, of course, the Republican line probably went up because they thought, that's what we need. We've had enough of these overthinkers and these intellectuals. We need just a straight-ahead, have-a-beer kind of guy. The, The motivation for the response may have been different, but the response was, well, he just said something that we all recognize as true. That is a charismatic moment when somebody has the ability to be public in their self-awareness and their self-awareness touches on everyone else's perception of them. It can even be something that might be considered as negative. For some people, that's negative. I'm no intellectual. And yet, what it did was for everybody they said, oh, the guy is on to himself. That in and of itself is of value. So, and I think that's the, if, if, I think most people, if they could have any response to them and their presentation, it would be, well, the dude's telling the truth. The dude is on to himself. The dude is not trying to fake me out. I think if we can create that kind of uh, reality about our own authenticity and be comfortable in it, then we have this charismatic ability. And, you know, President Bush ended up having that even though a lot of people didn't feel he was adequate to the job, whatever. A lot of people didn't have very good appreciation of him 
and yet he had this, well, he's George Bush, you know, he that's how he's going to be, and at least he's on to it. You know, he's not trying to pretend anything. And um, that's that's valuable. You know, meanwhile, when Kerry ran against him, everybody had this feeling that Kerry is trying to fake us out somehow. And I don't think that uh, he had any intention of being like that. He just seemed a little removed, a little distant, not fully in the room, like he was guarding, you know, the way that Al Gore was trying to make sure you all knew that he was a smart guy. Well, it was pretty apparent that Al Gore is no dummy, and, and, and politics are always a great place, especially presidential politics, to watch how this identity thing plays out. This ability to just be who you are, even when who you are might not be the most uh, attractive or, or desirable. Just that thing, we want our leaders to, to be real. And when a person can, can make that happen, um, that gives them a tremendous amount of advantage, even more than the right kind of policy stances. Well, now this is where your your experience is so critical to the filmmaker and to the actor. You know, you've you've been in this business for many years. You have been a caster and director and a manager. You know, you're co- you know, you do what you do now. You're a coach. You're a mentor. You know, you're you're a person on the who's been on the inside and and can function on the outside to to assist people. You've seen it in the I know you've had to have seen it in in your audition room uh, uh whether rarely or many times the the notion that there's a person that comes in and they are they 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 take the room over and you're like wow this person's great and they may or may not be right for the part but but they've made an impression on you and you store them forever. And then there's those people that come in who uh, you just go, you know, I, I don't know who they are, what they are. Maybe they're crit- maybe they're a great actor, but there's something off. You know what I mean? I, I mean, how, how does this? How how does the actor? How does the person listening today, or in the future, um, begin to tap into this? What what need they do in order to? Because we've talked about callbacks and the conundrum of callbacks. We've talked about, you know, how you know. People uh, do better in their acting skills, but how, how do they how do they present themselves? What what kind of work do they need to do? Well, you know, we talked about this a little last time, but I'm happy to reiterate it because yeah. um, I mean, this is something people wherever they are. When I, you know, when I'm working on my book, I say to my my co-writer, um, I want to make sure that the young man or woman out in Kansas who's never going to be in Hollywood, and they aren't in show business, and they are just uh, people. I want to make sure that they can do this work for themselves at home and have the authenticity they need to get ahead as the manager of a local insurance agency, or maybe they are a local actor or filmmaker, and they don't have any desires to leave Ohio. They want to make small movies there, and you know certainly... It's been proven that there can be film centers all over this country. Um, I want them to be able to do this. And so, you know, I'm I'm giving the first part of what I do away happily. I think what people can do is take notice of the descriptive uh, elements that have come up in their lives. And when people start looking for it, you know, they begin by go, well, you know, I'm not, I don't think anybody is, I can't think of people describing, I don't know what you mean. 
it's easy. If you go back in your high school annual, people wrote things in there that were descriptive. If you look at your job performance reports, um, if you look at reviews of your work, if you're an artist, if you look at the things that people have written in the fly leaves of books that they've given you or greeting cards, sometimes in the taglines of emails, people will write, hey, boy, genius. Uh, if you look around in your life and listen up, because it's happening verbally as well, people are describing you all the time. We don't pay attention to it because it just becomes part of life. But it happens in the workplace. Somebody will say, you know, you are, are so determined to get your point across, or you are so convinced that this is the way to do it, or you are so wishy-washy about this particular assignment, or whatever it may be, people are describing us all the time. So if you begin going through that information, if you listen up in conversation, everybody from your intimates, all the way to casual acquaintances, are giving you little tidbits of description. No single one of those are important, although some may be charged if they feel particularly praiseful or particularly critical. They may have a little charge. You've got to release that. But just start collecting that information and then start grouping it into piles that have similarity. If people have said, you know, you're really determined to get your point across. Hey, you're really on it this morning. Hey, you won't give up. Hey, would you please give up? You start putting those in a group and you go, okay, there seems to be this little determination thing that is showing up out there in people's opinion of me. Oh, you know, I can talk to you about anything. You're my shoulder to cry on. You'll listen when nobody else will. Um, you begin to go, oh, there's something about me that's a listener, that's a receiver of people's information. When you begin to get to those things and there's enough um, information, enough units that says, well, there's a determined thing and there's a responsible thing and there's an outgoing thing and there's a talks when I shouldn't thing and whatever those may be, you begin to go, here are some patterns in external perception of myself. And most people, if they listen up for a month or two and examine some of that old written material, they will notice that there's 10 or 12 primary behavioral ideas, I refer to as neighborhoods, that keep showing up. And once they've sort of established those, some will be stronger, some will be weaker, but it's pretty easy to identify some major chords, and generally people will see 8, 10, 12 of them. When those come up, then one begins to compare them to the chords you know about yourself. Oh, I knew that determined thing. This outgoing thing surprised me a little bit. This um, talks when I shouldn't thing is the thing I dread, but there it is. People mention it. You begin to go, okay, now I can begin to integrate these pieces that are both public and now recognized by me, if not before, now, these are the elements that I am made of. These are the major cards in my hand. Now, are there nuances? Are there subtleties? Are there things that only my friends know, only my family knows? Yes. But in terms of the general world, here are the primary cards I'm playing. And once that happens, then your ability to be authentic, to understand the range of each of those behaviors, 
your ability to turn one up appropriately to a different circumstance um, becomes you be you become able to play that hand of cards that you've got. And that's what I would say to anybody listening is that's work you can sit and do easily yourself. You can do it as almost a hobby if you're just aware. I'm looking for and listening for the descriptions. I will then put them into groups by similarity. And once I know those groups, this is the part that's a little bit magical. Once people know those, those headings, those neighborhood titles of these individual elements of their behavioral makeup, once they have named those, this little kind of miracle happens where they begin to use those elements in a different way. It isn't just, well, the way I am, it's here are the cards. How do I play them in a given pitch or in a given role or in a given interpersonal relationship? Do I need to turn up my determination over here at this job interview? On the other hand, I need to turn down this other element, which works great in my friendships, but not so great at work. You know, or this thing at work that really uh, helps me succeed and is the leader in my cards, my behavioral makeup elements. This thing doesn't really help me over here in another uh, avenue of my life. So, so now what comes to the forefront, what I emphasize, and where I go in the range of each of these behaviors becomes playable. It becomes fluid with our daily lives, and that's the primary element that people miss about authenticity. Our personal authenticity is not a fixed, locked down, this is the real me, everything else isn't. Authenticity is this fluidness of using the elements of our behavior suitable to the situation so that we're not falsifying elements that we don't have. We are not relying on our elements for everything, but they're in play so that we can turn up our directness where that is useful. We can turn it down a little bit where it isn't useful. We can turn up our determination where that is an applaudable uh, characteristic. We can lay it back where it isn't, and all of a sudden, these elements that are given to us by nature and history, these elements become cards in play. And our authenticity is, you know, our, our hand of cards played to suit the, the, the appropriate circumstances or the goals of a different uh, meeting or, or use of ourselves. And then our authenticity becomes, we can walk away from situations going, that was me. The elements of me were in play. They were in play appropriately because I have good judgment, I have good taste, I know where I was and what was right for the, the setting, but I was using my cards. I wasn't trying to use somebody else's cards. I was using mine and appropriate to the hand that I was playing. So uh, that idea that, that authenticity has fluidity and spectrum but it is made of a fixed set of elements that were granted to us by nature and our own history and upbringing, then, then authenticity and being ourselves is possible in, in all situations. 
Wow, wow. That is really very, very cool. Um, I'm going to have to take a quick break, and then we're going to come right back. But that is awesome. That that helps, I think, all of us wrap our brains around this and, and gives uh, uh, – you know, as potential areas for moving forward in in our own important evolution. So thank you very much. Let me uh, take this break, and then we'll come back with Mr. Sam Christensen. Sam's website is his name, samchristensen, C-H-R-I-S-T-E-N-S-E-N.com. So you're going to want to go to samchristensen.com. Uh, he's also got a book that will be coming out soon, and uh, or, 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 or will be correct, Sam? I mean... Well, as soon as Sam gets it fully written, yeah. Well, there but, you go. Uh, yeah, it's moving along finally. I mean, I've been at it for a while, and it's moving now. All right, fantastic. So you're listening to, to RegSykes.com, uh, RegSykes Movie Beat. My guest is Sam Christensen. SamChristensen.com is the website. Uh, I'll tell you about some upcoming guests and, and some events that are happening in in the Lister, Milwaukee area. Clint Howard was to be our guest tomorrow, is working. So we're going to reschedule Clint Howard uh, he's, he's on a project, and so um, uh, I will let you know when Clint is going to be coming back and joining us. Nicholas Tabarak is a producer, the 9th of May, 2012, just to give you an idea of what we're talking about. Uh, we'll be joining us. Then Kim Swanson, casting director, comes up on Thursday, the 10th, and then Peter Marshall on the 11th. Following Peter will be Peter Foldy, director and uh, and Jason Brubaker, who's a producer and author, will be joining us uh, during the month of May. There's others, but I'm going to stop there with those. I want to tell you about a couple upcoming events here in Milwaukee. Tonight, if you're listening in Milwaukee, uh, there is the movie Reclamation. It's a Wisconsin-Chicago area, Illinois-made film. It will be uh, showing, premiering at the Marcus Majestic Theater in Springdale Road in Brookfield, Wisconsin, at 7 p.m. It's a special event. They are not selling tickets through the box office, but they are selling them in the entranceway or the lobbyway. It's $10 cash at the door. Tickets have been sold in advance. Uh, it's in the, a little bit of the plot is after losing his fiancée from the onslaught of invading Chinese and Russian forces, David attempts an escape north through Canada and captures a uh, mutinied Russian soldier along the way. So they have a Facebook page. Go check it out. And uh, I'm going to go to the screening tonight, the premiere tonight. So if uh, if uh, if at all possible, I'll see you there. It's Reclamation at the Majestic Theater. Now on Thursday evening, another locally made uh, film is called Secret Life, Secret Death. And I've just lost my notes on it. I'm trying to find that right now. Uh, it is at the Oriental Theater uh, in Milwaukee on Farwell on Farwell. And it's also at 7 p.m. I don't have a ticket price for it. But uh, it's the story of a young mother who falls into a web of crime in gangland Chicago in the Roaring Twenties and later runs the Shady Hollywood Hotel in northern Wisconsin uh, during the Great Depression. I've seen uh, parts of this movie. I actually appear in it a little bit. But I've seen parts of this movie, and uh, it is uh, uh, a fun movie and and uh, very nostalgic. I mean, vintage cars and costumes and trains and and uh, it really takes you back to the 20s. So there you have it. So stay tuned to for my upcoming guests, and uh, and please do continue to share these uh, uh, guests and uh, and your friend. I mean, with your friends and your industry connections. And uh, we're going to come right back now with Mr. Sam Christensen. So Sam, um, we wanted to ask you. I mean, that was that's very powerful information. Thanks for sharing that with with the people. Uh, and the listeners and myself, um, 
the the all of what we're talking about, and again, you addressed this before, you know, with the, the notion of the callback dilemma. You know, you said skills put an artist in consideration, but the final choice are the elements that distinguish you from the other qualified candidates. And this is what we are talking about: how you can be authentically you in that room. Correct? Yes. Yes. And and so there are some things that I, I, I want to address with you that, that we mentioned that we would talk about because I think that um, they're, they're, they're important from this kind of this kind of understanding. All right, I want to be authentically me, and authentically me, I may be, you know, Quasimodo. I may be the the, the best thing on the, place of the face of the planet as far as being pretty. I may be, uh, you know, any number of things. I, I may be, most people know me as an ass, or, you know, most people know me as a nice person. What about, uh, you know, all of this... Uh, uh, being authentic with the notion of uh, the 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 myths or conventional wisdoms of Hollywood film, uh, like typecasting, you know, is there good news or bad news regarding that, or both? Well, I think it's all good news. You know, I mean, we do have this uh, uh, idea, and I think well founded, that Hollywood likes beauty, um, and uh, of course it does. You know, it it, it likes to put on the screen um, the idealized. But by the same token, um, it also has to present everybody else. And so um, on the screen also are these very distinct versions of every other way to look in the world. And, you know, we've had some people, I think I used this example uh, in a previous uh, uh, time, but, you know, Danny DeVito has none of it. You know, he's a lovely man. I know him. He's a sweetheart guy. But essentially, some of the cards in his hand are short, ugly, and obnoxious, along with others. And he has realized that the the trick in Hollywood is not wishing he were tall, dark, and handsome. That isn't the way nature and time delivered it to him. What his job is, is to create the Danny DeVito-defined version of short, ugly, and obnoxious and other uh, elements and be so much that that we have to have Danny DeVito. And he's managed to have an incredible career uh, as a uh, an actor, as a creator of projects, a director and a producer, um, is considered one of the you know important figures in the whole Hollywood pantheon and he has none of the things that that we typically identify with stardom. Um, and I think that that is really the way of 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 things. That it is not nearly so much um, what we we think Hollywood depends upon. What Hollywood and filmmaking everywhere, storytelling, depends on is hitting the audience with identifiable, true examples of everything so they can identify. We'd love to plug into, gee, wouldn't it be great to be that beautiful? we love to plug into, sure, glad I'm not that ugly. we love to plug into all of these kinds of, of uh, things. You know, uh, a few years ago, we had that wonderful movie, Precious, where we got to plug into what it's like 
to be um, obese, to be rejected, to be uh, the object of ridicule, um, that isn't the, the Hollywood standard, you know, and yet that movie uh, made a lot of money. It um, uh, created star career for its its uh, its stars. It earned an Academy Award or two, um, and it was an important film to be made for everybody's sake. And it didn't have any of the Hollywood standards in it. I think the big budget stuff is probably always going to be geared on beauty and special effects. Now, um, those are the things that people pay the big tickets for. But I think we all know that that is, while it's a showy part of the film business, it isn't the heart or the core of the film business. What makes film work are all the films that aren't that big one. The big one gets all the press, but all the other films get the nominations and get the audiences in and fill in the gaps between the big fancy movies. It's all the other wonderful movies that that we go see and appreciate the the dynamics and the writing and the performances. I just saw a five-year engagement over the weekend, and I went kind of reluctantly just because those aren't my style movies necessarily, and yet it was completely charming, uh, uh, a really deft screenplay, and uh, signature performances by not only uh, Jason Siegel and Emily Blunt, but all the supporting people. There wasn't a dull performance in it. They were all signature performances of human beings that live right next door to you. And um, uh, that's the core of, of filmmaking is human stories. The glamour stories are fun. We all like a little glamour and beauty and special effects. But, you know, those heart stories, the core stories, the human being next door stories are the ones that hold the, the, the business together and are the ones that are makeable by anybody. You know, you can, on a small, teeny, dumb little budget, make a in, incredibly moving human story because, you know, human behavior is the ultimate special effect, you know. And uh, when folks make those stories and performers are willing to bring their quirks into it, whether their quirk happens to be that they're gorgeous or their quirk happens to be that they're Danny DeVito, um, that's what, what storytelling and movie making are made of. And I think the real standard, if people stood back and avoided the uh, sort of the, the attraction of the glamour, is Hollywood is, is the core of it, of Hollywood and of filmmaking everywhere, is diversity of the human experience. That's what, what really makes movies. And um, and I think more and more, just because of what we discussed earlier, the, the sort of focus that is on all of us as human beings in this age really demands that every artist, whether they're making the film or they're in front of the camera, every artist has to, to sign off. They have to bring the signature of their identity to their part of the work because that's what makes these highly human movies, whether they're the big, huge blockbusters that, that manage to also have real humanity, some of them, to the little film that's made in two weeks in Minnesota. You know, all of those films, the core of them, 
is what makes human beings tick and the unique way that the artists uh, make that story happen in, in a signature way. Could you, for the listeners, recap the the notion of of a signature work, you know, and 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 the demand of the close up and and the the idea that you know, because I mean, what what makes the work signature is the kind of question that I keep getting asked, you know, uh, regarding this. And so, well, uh, I, you know, there are two elements. One is the obvious that you are operating with a degree of craftsmanship that is uh, that is appreciable and uh you know we what we've discovered is some of that is trained and learned in film school and and other ways that artists train themselves um and then the other part is talent that thing of well once in school or once on the set i have a proficiency as a as a uh, art director or a proficiency as an actor so that's sort of the given that there is some uh-huh. uh training some experience and some talent that helps create signature. I mean, that's the that's the ground floor. That's the foundation. Then what really makes the signature is this identification of what do I bring to it? What happens when I design the set? What happens when I play the part? What happens when I direct? And that is my craftsmanship applied uniquely the way I apply it. So... As in the example I was giving before, you know, if I have a determination that's part of me and I have a saying things when I shouldn't that's a part of me and I have an outgoingness that's a part of me, well then, the way I approach things will have an outgoingness, a determination, and a maybe saying things when I shouldn't piece. Um, (laughs) Those elements are the things that I do. Now, it doesn't mean we have to go in and make sure we do them. It's that we're aware of them. And... It's like, um, you know, if a, if a singer is aware that they can hit a certain high note, they don't have to hit that note in every song. It is the awareness that they're capable of that that fills the lower notes that are easier to hit with the potential of what they can do. And so when we're full of the potential of what our different elements can can do, and we appreciate the spectrum spectrum of them, then signature is possible. Now, you've heard me repeat that word spectrum, and that is really important, because what happens is we tend to go, well, smart is smart. But the reality is, if you're smart, you own the spectrum, which means sometimes you've been over in one positive extreme of smart, which is scintillating, inspirational. And you've probably been over in a negative extreme of smart. You've been a know-it-all. So if you walk in and go, my signature is dependent on the fact that I own smart and all its versions. I own curious and all its versions. You know, if you've been outgoing, you have been... Uh, you've been friendly, you've been the life of the party, you've also been needy and cloying and in people's face. So if you own the whole spectrum of outgoing, then all of a sudden signature choices are available to you. You can say, hmm, my craftsmanship tells me how to analyze and portray this character. However, my identity allows me to make an extreme choice. I'm going to try 
a cloying approach because I know I own it. If I'm outgoing, I've been cloying. I've been in somebody's face too much. So I'm going to try that in this rehearsal. And so then the director says, I love that. that. Where did you come up with that? Or they say, that doesn't work, but what's going on inside them is, wow, that was a brave choice. If they could make that brave choice, they can make a different one. They're willing, they're brave, and they're personal. And then we're supported by our collaborator uh, because we've shown them the willingness to go to the extremes and the ranges of our behavior. Once we show them that, then they're collaborating with a person who will take a chance, they'll make a personal choice, and now we can have some fun, and signature can be created not only by the artists themselves, but supported by the collaborators that are working with them because they sense they're going to do things that are honest and they're willing to take extreme chances. So signature, I think, is a, is a real knowledge, not just of self, but of self in the world, this public identity, understanding that there are extremes of all of our behaviors and being willing, based on the fact that we know it's true that people perceive us as outgoing, therefore it will be a true signature choice to go to the extremes of that. With that confidence that I'm working with a truth of myself, then I can go make pretty radical choices, know that I'm not just being crazy, and create signature. Now, not all signature performance requires radical choice, but sometimes it does. Sometimes you have to go pretty far. And um, I think that that, uh, you know, that's an uh, example. Going back to Precious, you know, Monique that got the Academy Award, you know, she took some elements of herself and went to the extreme in that character and earned, you know, for a first-time film actress, uh, I believe, I think she'd been in some one other thing, but, you know, essentially a first-time film actress, she won the Academy Award because she made signature choices based on truth of herself taken to believable extremes. And that's sort of a quick rundown of what signature is. No, but I mean, it's amazing because, you know, I'd asked before, but, the, you know, the, the ability, you know, skills that, that put you in consideration and the elements that distinguish you from other qualified candidates. And, and you've been, you, you know, in, in, in so many different ways, you've been addressing that, those very aspects, you know, for, for us. And I think it helps really clarify for people what, what they need to do. Now, we're also talking about these conventional wisdoms like, you know, typecasting and, and you know, beauty versus, you know, uh, you know, whether beauty was essential and, and, and you address that with Danny DeVito. What about, and the most qualified gets the job? I mean, yeah, what about that one? I, mean, I think you've said it, but I mean, I... The best actor gets the job? Well, yeah. all you have to do is watch television, you know, and you <laughs> begin to discover these cannot always be. You know, there's some people who we watch not because of their acting skills. We watch because their work is signature. Now, obviously, what's great is to be Meryl Streep, and you give idiosyncratic sort of uh, very personal performances, and you also happen to be a genius craftsperson. That's the most watchable combination. But there are certainly people that we all watch regularly. Some of them we've watched for years and years in a series and they aren't particularly gifted craftspeople. They aren't the best actor of their type, and yet they are so uniquely... Uh, 
Drew Carey, who has uh, been a uh, client and supporter of mine, will just come right out and tell you, you know, that he is not an actor um, and that everybody on the show was a better actor than he was. And yet he was on for 10 years because Drew is 100% Drew. And, um, you know, I worked with him when he was making that transition after the Drew Carey show. You know, what do I do with this tremendous amount of cachet and public recognition and appreciation? What do I do with it next? He didn't want to just do another version of the same thing. And, you know, that's a guy who will admit to you that he is not uh, as great a craftsman as some of the other people he works with. As an improviser, he's one of the great craftsmen, and he knows that. But as an actor with lines, not so much. And yet, he is a charismatic television and motion picture sometimes presence because he is so able to not only be Drew, but to go to the ends of the spectrum of his Drewisms. And uh, to me, that is just the most admirable thing. Not all of us have the particular set of gifts that make us a great actor. You know, there's only so much we can train. We've got to have certain specific talents, and we have to have them in abundance to be a great actor. But boy, can we be fantastic performers, and can we do the craftsmanship to the, the highest standards possible for us and then sign off on the work as well and really create impactful performances and storytelling. And I think that's our job. You know, we can't argue with nature about the proportion of gifts that we're given. What we can do is say, nature, here are the gifts I was given in terms of you know, craftsmanship talent, and here are the pieces I was given in terms of human behavior. Now, how do I play that hand to its fullest capacity? And if I'm an artist, how do I play that hand to tell stories that move hearts and minds and drive the culture forward? How do I accept my artist's responsibility? And uh, when a person can do that and realizes that their identity is equal part to their craftsmanship, then I think they can give solid performances as well as signature performances. Wow, wow, very cool. Sam, we have about 15 minutes left in this show, and obviously you know, I want to have you back another time, but, but for this show, we've got 15 minutes. Uh, I, I first want to mention uh, your website again, samchristiansen.com, and you do programs, you do seminars or workshops around the country, and, and uh, I want to mention that maybe some of the places that you're going to be uh, coming up, or if not, uh, are L.A., New York, Atlanta, Toronto, and soon Chicago. Are those? Is that fair? <laughs> yep, soon Chicago, and also we're uh, regularly in Washington D.C. Wow. Okay. Well, very cool. And they can find all, all that information at samchristensen.com. Right. Uh, and that, that's fantastic. Well, you're almost in my neck of the woods. I got to come down and see you when you're in Chicago. Well, please. Uh, I got to do a little uh, website disclaimer, the standard website disclaimer. Um, we are in construction <laughs> on a new website. The one that's up is fully there. You won't find any of those sure. page under construction. But um, there's a new one coming. Uh, we'll have a, a brand new version of our website. And we had to do the same work that I make everybody else do. We had to find out perceptions of me, of the studio, of things. We had to roll those in. We had to come to these essential qualities that others see and that we see. And then we had to roll out 
vocabulary and um, uh, design elements, color choices based on that stuff. And it was fun because I got to use my own work to benefit my own promotional needs. So we'll be rolling out a new website based on our work, and uh, I think that it'll, uh, first of all, be a little modern. We were we were on the trend in the beginning. We had a website up before anybody did many, many, many years ago, but we have not um, design-wise updated it. It's always updated in terms of information and dates, but it was finally time to do a little design revamp, which we're uh, almost done with. So I'm excited about that, and I'm excited I got to apply the, my own work to design it. And um, and it always has the information about where and uh, on what dates we'll be in these various cities and uh, what kind of uh, programs we're doing in each of them. So, yes, people can check there to kind of find out what's going on in a place close to them if this sounds interesting to them. That's awesome. That's awesome. No, I, I, I heartily recommend to all the listeners to, to check out your website and to, and to be able to spend time with you uh, in any way, shape, or form that they can. And so, uh, again, visit samchristensen.com and, and find a, a, out if there's a seminar near you that you could attend or if you have to fly across the country to do it. But uh, but do check it out. And, uh, Sam, we, with the remaining now maybe 13 minutes or 12 minutes that we've got, I have I have three questions for today, and you tell me if you want to answer them or, or, or which one you want to answer, if you're going to try and do all of them in the next 13 minutes. <laughs> That I'm making is, notes. <laughs> I think they're simple, but you may want to save one or two for the next show. But that is, what is star quality and the functional definition of charisma? Those I'll put as two separate questions because I know, I, you know, the, how you address things and think of things. But the other question comes from the chat room, um, too, and I, and I would like to answer that one today. So this is why I asked if you if you want to answer those or if you want to. Or if time permits, or anyway, without any further. The other question was, someone in the chat room says, what does Sam recommend for ongoing marketing relationships, building, relationship building, to let casting directors know you and your type? Okay, good. Well, I love the ones that come from chat room, so let's start with that. Um, I think that there are it, – it, it's pure business in, in a very simple way that consistency and constancy matter. Um, and I think when we develop a relationship, there is a way to be uh, constant in our communication, which means respect the other person's time, realize that they are busy, vary the, the media that we use to communicate between um, you know regular – mail or email or linkage or all those various ways, but establish a, a routine and say to yourself, I'm going to communicate in one way or another every month, every six weeks, and I'm going to do it in such a way that it does not interrupt their time. I'm going to make it easy to access you know, a, a communication from me. It's not going to require a lot of listening or a lot of reading. It is just going to be a prompt whether it's in snail mail or email or however one can do it, and I think those should vary, there's going to be a prompt from me that is there's going to be some constancy. I don't give up just because I haven't heard from them this month, this year. If, if a door is worth kicking open, it's worth leaving open. So constancy is important. And then consistency, that there is a ongoing flow 
of versions of the same information. That's why these key behavioral elements are interesting to identify, because if we, on a consistent basis, mention certain descriptive elements of ourselves, and they happen to be true, we've researched them, we know that they are part of our, our charismatic identity, our signature identity. If we can allow ourselves to find ways to repeat those gently, varying the exact way, using that range that I, that I talked about, that spectrum of a behavior, but if we can drop those elements in, in the little bit of words we write, so that I am, as the recipient, I am on a constant basis reminded of the person in an easily accessible way, and it's done with a consistency of identity message, then what that does is create the atmosphere that we want to create, which is I'm being dealt with professionally, and I'm being given information that is easy for me to remember. The biggest struggle that we have, uh, especially as actors, is being remembered from one situation to another without it being dependent on proving our work over and over again. Actors seem to want to think, well, I've got to prove I'm a good actor. Uh, I kind of think good acting is expected. I think what we've got to do is give them a memory tag over and over and over again so they can very gently and easily go, oh, Joe Blow again. Yes, Joe Blow is the one who's this, this, and this, and he's a good actor, and that took me three seconds to digest that, and on a consistent, constant basis, I'm reminded of Joe Blow uh, in this way that allows me to always use the same memory tag. Then Joe Blow is in my memory when I can actually put him on a list for a part that he might actually come in and get when he's useful to me and I can be useful to him. If an actor can maintain that kind of easily accessible consistency and constancy, and it's based not on how good I am, but on elements personal to me that create those memory tags, then they've succeeded in that ongoing reminder relationship. That's really, really cool. I uh, I, I want to piggyback a couple personal examples and, and maybe have you comment on them. Or what, but the uh, one is I, I was in L.A. sitting with a director friend of mine who I've known for 30, 35 years. We worked together. In a, in a, he was not a director at the time we worked together. Talking about another director friend of mine who I, again, worked with, but when he was an actor, not a director. And um, and. And director number two is someone who we talk on the phone, we talk about our divorces, we talk about our kids, we talk about vacations, we keep trying to get together through the years, you know, but schedules haven't prevented. And so I'm sitting in a coffee shop with uh, the first director, and I said, he said, oh, and he's off shooting some movie somewhere, and I said, oh, man, I'm surprised he didn't ask, you know, if, if you know, if I, there was something right for me in it. And he stopped, everything, he just looked at me, he said, were you in his face about it? And I said, no. He said, well, then how's he supposed to remember you? You know, he's busy. Unless you're unless unless you're there at that moment when he's doing it, he's got you know hundreds of other things to do. And I, you know, I mean, of course you're right. You know, you know. But but I mean, even among you know friends, it, it's the kind of thing of we get caught up. And I don't necessarily think of everybody who I would be thinking of in a given moment. 
when when something's available. So 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 your uh, and I hope this piggybacks with you. But the idea of being consistent in your approach uh, professionally without being you know bothersome uh, makes a lot of sense. And and that's something that I had never really did with this second friend of mine. Well, you know, and I prefer another phrase uh, to in your face because that feels yeah, a little I, confrontational. It does, it, I, I it, say to people, are you sense. in their bank? Yeah, um, there you go. Because, uh, you know, there there's a way to be consistent and constant but not to abuse time or to right. be- demand time. I think if we can say these people are busy, they have schedules, what I want to do is give them the – I want to stimulate the memory tag on a regular basis and in a simple and accessible a way as possible then we've done two things we've we've you know we keep reinvesting in being in their bank and we've done it in a professional and agreeable way and i think you know half the reasons that we're hired is because we're agreeable and professional and the other half is because we can be remembered so your friend is absolutely right you know are you consistent are you constant with that person because in the rush of a project that's the time they least can access the depths of their memory bank. So if you found a way to be constant in their memory bank without being, you know, pushy, then right. you've achieved, I think, the, the, the toughest but the best goal in those kinds of, of art hiring relationships. Now, that's, thank you. I appreciate that. The second is a casting director friend of mine is casting a, a big, major, major motion picture and said, would you be able to audition remotely? And I said, yeah, I, I could do that. And she said, okay, um, but would you be able to come in for the callback, you know, if you got it? I said, yep, no problem. So great. And then she said, well, the director would like to see some film on you. Well, I'm currently editing my reel. I've got two different reel editors editing two different versions of the reel. And one is you know, a speed reel, a minute long. And um, and so the one's not done, and the other one's really not done. It's a work in progress. But one work in progress was up on, a like, a Vimeo password-protected site. And I said, I can send you this reel. Here it is. It's on Vimeo, and here's the password. And she wrote back and said, I can't deal with passwords. Do you have something I can just access? And I had to go, oh, God, no, I don't. I couldn't get either of them, to, you know, to put this up in a timely fashion for this person so that she could just look at it without having to type in, you know, seven or eight characters, which to me in my way of thinking was, well, I can type in seven or eight characters. But the message I got from her was, I, you know, I'm really busy here. <laughs> so to be respectful, what I wanted to do was to deliver what she had asked for. And I, I had wanted to do that, you know, I wanted this up on Actors Access or something where I could go, yeah, just go take a look at it. But that wasn't to be. Anyway, you know, ultimately she, you know, she said that she saw it, and whether she did or not. But I mean, she saw it. But I felt I felt bad that I couldn't deliver what she wanted when she wanted it, the way she wanted it. Well, you know how I feel about that is I certainly understand that time thing. I mean, how much time does it take to uh, type in a password? On the other right. hand. How much time does it take to find the email, to look up the password, to get to the right. thing on the day she needs it, when she right. may be super, super busy and putting together a list of actors like yourself, to uh, and then all those contacts with the video auditioning, which is how all auditioning will happen sooner or later. So all of that, I completely understand her request. And I think what actors need to do is this is public work anyway. I mean, this is work that you either design for people to see as an audition stuff, 
stuff you designed, or it's clips from your actual work. It's public work anyway, and this is why they made YouTube, so somebody could go, Rex Sykes, bango, and here is right. you know, your two or three different versions of your reel, which should be you know, very easily uh, labeled if it happens to be comedy and drama or the mixed reel or if it happens to be commercial work versus theatrical work or however you've categorized the need for different reels. And the other thing that I say to people about reels is, you know, the standard preview in uh, a motion picture theater now is of someplace between 96 and 107 seconds. That's the, you know, standard. This mm -hmm. is how long reels should be. And actors seem to think, well, they need to see the full depth of my seven-minute scene. No, they don't. They didn't see the movie. They don't know where it fits. What they need to see is you. So get these editors to cut reels not as a demonstration of our work, but as a preview, because they should serve the same purpose as a trailer does in a movie. A trailer in a movie does not want to show you the whole movie. It wants to get you to come and pay to see the whole movie. And I think that that's the way actors' reels should work. They should create the desire to see more, not that, God, I've got to turn this off. This thing is running forever. It's only four <laughs> minutes, but it seems like forever. You know, I need to see 90 quick seconds that make me want to see more. And then I request a longer reel or I invite the actor in. Um, and certainly there may be a, a, a longer length reel that one has when requested, but the ones that are up on YouTube um, should be preview length. They should be considered trailers. Excellent, excellent advice. And with that, we're really out of time. So when we come back another time, Sam, if, if, you're, if you're still willing, we'll address star quality and charisma and, and maybe talk more of uh, these nuts and bolts things about reels and, and how people stay in touch. But you have been absolutely fantastic well my pleasure i enjoy it and i again want to remind people that it's samchristiansen.com and la new york atlanta washington dc toronto and chicago soon uh, are, are places where you could uh, be with sam personally and uh, and and benefit from his his his, his personal presence and, and get to meet and work uh, with sam so i do do look up samchristiansen.com and uh, yeah, so if we can, if sometime in the near future, schedule another Sam Christensen uh, discussion, I would love to do that with you, sir. Okay, great. I'm, you know, I'm happy to do it. <laughs> All right. Well, and I know you're busy, so I appreciate everything. I will. Um, I'm going to talk to you in just a few minutes, Sam. But for now, we're going to say goodbye. Any any last uh, thoughts that you want to say in closing? Well, I just know that there are people. You have listeners all over the country, and I just want to encourage them. Um, I think movie making is the uh, the the primary um, mode of our particular era and culture, and I just want to encourage everybody to tell the stories they have in their hearts and minds because the world needs them. Awesome, awesome. Well, thank you again so much. My pleasure. All right. Bye bye. Bye bye, Mr. Sam Christensen. Again, samchristensen.com. He's also on Facebook, so you want to check him out on Facebook. Uh, he's on Twitter, and I didn't ask him what his Twitter address was. We'll have to make sure that uh, you find him on Facebook and, and, and check into that. Uh, but what a pleasure having him here today. And uh, let me remind you that I've got great guests coming up in the future. Please leave a comment before you leave today, uh, whether you're listening live or archived. Do leave comments at the player, rate and review the shows. Please spread these interviews 
uh, near and far to all of your industry contacts. You can follow me on Twitter at Rex Sykes Movie BT. That's Rex Sykes Movie BT. That last word's abbreviated. There's Rex Sykes Friends. Rex Sykes, I'm sorry, Rex Sykes Movie Beat Friends on Facebook. Come join us there. Uh, a new movie I'm directing is called Serum the Movie. We've got a Facebook page. Please check that out. I want to remind you that if you're listening tonight in the Milwaukee area, Brookfield, Wisconsin, the Majestic Marcus Majestic Theater, 7 p.m., $10 cash, premiere, world premiere of a movie called Reclamation made within the uh, Wisconsin and uh, neighboring state of Illinois. And Thursday night, May 10th, at uh, the Oriental Theater in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, on Farwell Avenue, is uh, Secret Life, Secret Death. Uh, a movie uh, about gangster land in the 1920s. So please uh, check those out uh, if you will, and uh, and keep uh, keep 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 uh, making your projects and 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 uh, keep suggesting guests and topics and and keep your questions coming. I really appreciate all of the love and all of the support that you that you have for uh, me and the show and my guests. So everybody have a fabulous day. Make your movies, complete your projects. Until we meet the next time, that's a wrap. <laughs>